following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. You might be sitting there going, Mark, I want to go to a church where we just read those little snippets, right? We don't do this whole big chunk. And I get that. But the reason we're doing the whole big chunk is because we're trying to follow Jesus, right? We're with His Spirit. With his spirit, we're going with him. And sometimes that means we sit down and we submit ourselves to him and to his word. And, and there was, a lot, of, you know, there was a, lot of, you know, a lot of stuff in here. I always tell the story about Steve Bolger because he once said to me, he said, a, a good pastor makes the comfortables feel a little bit uncomfortable. And the uncomfortable, well, those are the people he makes feel comfortable. And whether or not a good pastor does that, I know the God's word does that, right? And so that's what this word is doing. It, it sort of causes us to shift in our seats a little bit and to ponder our lives anew, and that's exactly what we're going to do uh, through his word. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray as we get ready to study how do we approach with confidence. What does this mean for you and for me right here, right now? Let's pray about that. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you give us, and we thank you for this time in your word. And I know sometimes our eyes might glaze over when we read a few extra paragraphs and all those kinds of things. But it's your word, and it contains power, and it, it has an influence over us and over this world that goes beyond our understanding. And so I pray right now that you would help give us your peace, which passes all understanding, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your leading, that you would take all the enemies and the rulers and the kings of this world, and you would cast them out of this place by your authority, which you then have given to us so that we could join you in your mission, Lord Jesus. We pray this boldly. Make this place holy and this time holy, set apart for our growth so that we might grow and follow you all the more. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray as we ask for your grace, mercy, and peace. Amen. So i got to tell you a story. Um, It's kind of a a sad story, but it's told by Michael Spencer. I wasn't there, but Michael Spencer was a youth pastor in Kentucky back in the 80s. And he tells this story in his book, Mere Churchianity, that um, he, he, when, he would take his youth group of maybe like 30 rowdy kids. I don't know if you've ever seen 30 rowdy teenagers before, but this is a force upon the earth. You know, it's a synonyms for that word might be tornado, hurricane, things like this. And so they would go down to the local Dairy Queen in their town, and um, they would celebrate after you know, a long day of church festivities and so forth. And one day he gets a letter a few days after they had been to the Dairy Queen. And it's from a gal who works at Dairy Queen. And she says, Dear Pastor Spencer, I just want you to know that when you bring your youth over here, it is the most rude, terrible thing that I can imagine. Because you descend upon the Dairy Queen, you destroy it, and then you leave this wake of devastation in your, in, in, when you leave. You, the kids dump out salt shakers, and you, dump, uh, you do all these kinds of things. You treat... The, you treat the other customers, like they're not even there, and you certainly don't ever acknowledge the employees. And she said, there's something else you need to know. I go to your church. She said, scratch that. I went to your church. Because now I see that you're not really interested in Jesus. You're just doing something else. I don't even know what to call it. And that was the end of her letter. Well, Michael Spencer, um, who is now with Jesus, he has since gone to be with the Lord, um, he spent some time dealing with that. You know what his first reaction was? And he'll tell you this. He'll say, my first reaction is, well, she's obviously somebody who doesn't love Jesus very much. Right? 
because she doesn't understand. We're the church, right? We're on the, we're on the right side of everything. We do everything right. But over time, the Holy Spirit worked on who some people later called, he called him the internet monk because he was one of those early guys who was online talking about this stuff. And, and uh, they work, he worked on his old heart and eventually he realized that what, what he was doing was a word he called churchianity. It was, a, it was a church culture with no Jesus, right? Because if you got Jesus, then you never ignore the people around you. You never treat others as though they're unimportant or not there because Jesus said to love your... Yeah, it's interesting. I heard a couple of words, which are both right. Neighbors, right? But I also heard enemies. Yeah, interesting. So, so this week in our culture, there was this big spectacle in our culture, and I'm not going to name it. I think everybody knows what it was, right? And there are some people in this room that are firmly entrenched on one side of that spectacle, and there are some people in this room that are firmly entrenched on the other side, and I'm not telling you where I'm at because that's irrelevant to this discussion. And if you think it's not irrelevant, then that, that's something we need to talk about, right? And what I'm trying to get at is there was this big spectacle. And in this big spectacle, everybody has their opinion about what's right and what's wrong and what's at stake, right? If we don't get this guy in, then the whole nation's going to crumble. Wait a minute, who's the king of the universe again? What is the true Supreme Court? Or, and then the other side is, where, at what point are we going to listen to her, Right? And that's, an, that's something that if you're not listening to her, maybe we should be, right? And again, who's right and who's wrong? Only the Lord knows and the, and the other people who were there. And I'm not going to debate that at all today. But what we do need to do as people who follow Jesus is not remove Jesus from the equation. And so if you're sitting there going, well, if you're on one side, and you're like, look at what, that, what they said and what they did. Well, where's Jesus in that, in that feeling, in that heart, right? And if you're on the other side and you're like, well, they're not paying attention to it. Well, then yeah. Right? See, wherever you and I land on the political spectrum, and I know we're all across that spectrum in this room, my point is this. There's one place we should be, and that's at the throne of grace with Jesus. And we need to learn how to approach it with confidence because that's what the Scripture is teaching us today. But what we're going to do to study this is we're going to actually do an inverted look at the text. We're going to start at the end and work our way back. And so our first passage we're going to look at is the last sentence we read, which is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Now, we're saying up there our title is No Churchianity, which remember, churchianity is basically when, you're, when it's this kind of principle where you're saying we're going to quote Scripture rather than read Scripture. Have you ever, known, have you ever noticed that sometimes we struggle with that? We, we love to pull out those little quotes, but sometimes what we need to do is is be reading those quotes and reading their context and growing in Christ rather than being quick to tell others what... And guys, I'm the one talking. This, this is more about me than anybody, right? I'm the one... I need to hear this. So we quote the Bible more than read the Bible, although we're going to quote it a lot. That's not what we're saying, but don't, don't let go of the story. And then the other thing that we do is we'll sometimes focus more on the principles and the, and the issues, the ideas, rather than the people. You see how that, that certainly can impact the way we interact with, with our political culture, our social structure, and all of the people in our lives. We, churchianity is elevating the principles over the people. And then the third part is this idea of that we would expect other people's behavior to conform to ours. And that's like, why would that happen, right? But here's what, here's what happens when we, when, we, when we say, okay, wait a minute. How do we bring Jesus into this? What does that look like? 
So I love this sentence because he says, we do not want you to become lazy. Now, that might strike you as, I'm not lazy. Well, just so we're all clear, I am. Okay, let's start with me, and we'll work our way down from there. What do we mean by lazy? Do we mean you won't get up and do your job? You won't get up and clean the house or mow the lawn? No, that's not what we're talking about. I mean, certainly that can be there too. But this is the issue of being lazy with faith. Because here's, here's the church that I grew up in. I grew up in churchianity. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it before. Here's the church I grew up in. We would go, and we would go through the motions. And have you ever gone through the motions before? Because now I grew up Lutheran, so you have to know when to stand up and sit down, and you, know, you better know what page to be on in the hymnal, because if you don't, you're, dude, you're, I don't know. If, do, they, do they let people into heaven who don't know what page to be on? I don't know. And so, and so all of that factors in, right? And again, I, Jesus saved me in that environment. Don't, I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying there was some churchianity in, in with all this stuff. And so I grew up in that culture, and it was one of these, your sins are forgiven. And that was it. And that was it. And you know what? I grew up very, very lazy in my faith. Because all I cared about was, did I get my ticket punched? Did I get told those magic words and again, I'm not trying to take away the words. I said them to you just a few minutes ago, right? And I w- I'm going to keep saying them because we need to hear them. But when we, mi- when we get a little lazy, then we only care about our stance before God. And that's what we, we do not want you to become lazy. So it's kind of this idea, okay, your sins are forgiven, but now what? Now what do we do, right? How do we then join Jesus in this enterprise when he said, I'll tell you what. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, Matthew 28. All have authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Now you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you. When does that part happen, right? And see, this is, this is what we're talking about. That, when we, when we sort of delete those last few verses, that's lazy. But we want you to imitate those who through faith... And through patience, and there's this green word there, inherit what has been promised. And this is a powerful statement right here. Let's, let's talk about it because, so this idea of imitating, because I remember I was once at a pastor's conference. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. If those of you, yeah, don't ever go. But anyway, no, they're great. They're great. In fact, I'm going to one today, and the Lord will be there, and he'll do great things. But every once in a while when you get pastors together, they all like to talk about, you know, well, you, you talk shop. That's what you do. And just like any other any other person who works and gets together with other people who do that same task, you talk shop, right? And one day, um, I, was, I, was, I was listening to someone talk, and they said, well, you know, in our church, we talk like this, but in those churches, they talk about, you know, you should imitate Jesus. And I'm like, but doesn't the Bible say that? In fact, it does on numerous occasions. And so it's one of those where it's like sometimes we get this narrow focus because in our flavor of of what we do, we have this specific message, and that's a great message. It's called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense for y'all, right? For you and for me. It's He did it when grace literally means receiving what we do not deserve, right? That's what this is all about. He gives us this gift. And so then we respond by saying, well, maybe I should be like Him, right? It's okay to say that. You know, some of us who grew up in a church tradition where we don't say that very much, the Bible says it, so we can say it, right? That's a good thing, right? And so, and so this idea, but we do it through faith. You and I are never going to be Jesus, and that's, that's okay. But guess what? We can trust in Him that He'll give us power 
to be a little bit more than we are right now. And the next day, and the next day, to be a little bit more. By his power, not ours. But, but if we're lazy, then we're like, nah, I don't need that. I got my sins forgiven. I'm good to go. See? And this is kind of this, that's churchianity. If I only think the, mo- the only thing that matters is my sins forgiven, that's churchianity. Christianity is when Jesus reaches out to Peter and all of the other f- people he said this to, and he says, hey, come, let's go. You go with me. Follow me. That's what we're seeking to do. And that's what we do through faith and through patience. And then through faith and patience, we're going to inherit what has been promised. In a few chapters, we'll get to Hebrews chapter 11. It's the great faith chapter. And it's that chapter which really talks about all this inheritance we're going to receive and how we cannot see it yet. Right? It's, it's this evidence of things which we cannot see. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Because now, how did... If we're going to imitate Jesus, you know, there's a lot of things we could look at, you know, loving our enemies, saying, Father, forgive them, I don't know what they do, and all these things. But I think for us here right now today, one thing that we can grow in to help leave churchianity behind and re-embrace Christianity, where Christ is something that is the, he is the center of everything, is this idea where we say, Hebrews 5, 7, the first, verse, he says, first half of the verse, he says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. And once again, petition, you're like, isn't that something people sign to get something passed? Well, yeah, but it's what they're signing is a request for change, for something to happen, right? And so a prayer is something we say, like, what's a prayer? When I say Jesus, that's, that's a great beginning to a prayer. It's a great start to a prayer. But a petition is where I add in there, help me. Help me see. Help me hear. Help me have this feeling of where I love my neighbor and where I actually go beyond the feeling of love and do the, do, do the duty of love where I participate, right? And so there's prayers and petitions, but I love this because look what it says. How did he pray? Did he pray all silent and reverent and churchy-ish? He prayed with loud cries and tears. Now there's a time and a place where you guys have, you have a loud cries and tears. I mean, there's a time and a place where you're quiet in your prayers, right? I mean, there's, and there's times maybe we'll get together in a worship service and we'll pray in a certain way. And maybe if I scream in the middle of a worship service and burst out in tears, it might make everyone really uncomfortable and say, well, does Mark need help? Yeah, probably he does. That's why he's doing it. But the point is, is where would Jesus do these prayers of loud cries and tears? And he, it says it numerous times in the Gospels. He would withdraw. He'd go out in the country. He'd go up on the hill. He'd go down by the river. He'd go out to be by himself. And in fact, he teaches us this in Matthew 6. When you pray, go find you a quiet spot when you're really going to pray. We can pray together. We're all together. That's fine. But when you're going to do this, when you're going to just let it all out, go find a quiet spot and just let, and let it all out. Let every aspect of your soul be poured out to Jesus and tell Him everything you're worried about. Tell Him everything you're feeling. Tell Him everything you're scared of. Tell Him everything you regret and all the shame and all the fear and everything about that and give it to Him. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. Because when we do that, that's not churchianity. That's the power of God working in us through prayer. See, and he does this with loud cries and tears. Now look at the second half of the verse. And he's praying to the one who could save him from death. Now, we have this phrase around our house, like every once in a while we'll be worried about something. And then I will often say, well, are they going to kill us over it? I mean, literally kill us? And they're like, no. So then we're going to be all right, right? But, but this is the very interesting thing because, because this is what our prayers ultimately are too, the one who can save us from death. Why do I believe in Jesus? 
Somebody asked me one time, why? I was literally, I was, um, you know, in a situation where they were like, what do you do for a living? And I was trying to think, well, maybe I should, you know, what do you say? Should I say motivational speaker? Would that be good? I mean, because if you say pastor, I don't know how that's going to go over in certain contexts, right? And so I wish, well, I was like, grit of my teeth, Lord, save me, pastor. And they're like, how can you believe in God? I'm like, oh, that's easy because Jesus lives. And then they were like, oh, he's one of those guys. And then that, that was the end of that conversation. But, but I'm like, if you're going to come at me, I want to come at you. You need to be confronted with this, fake, this fact that when we're talking about all this, this is a life and death situation. They are going to come and kill us. They are. It's called this broken world, the sin that's in our body, the evil one. He wants to kill you and me. That is what he wants to do. And he will organize his, enemy, his troops against us. This is where this scripture is going. This is what we read about in Psalm 110. And yet, what's going on here is that the mighty one of God, the sovereign, majestic Lord of the universe, Adonai, our Lord Jesus, defends us, goes before us. He prays to the one who will save us from death. And we should imitate him, go with him. And look at this. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Reverent submission, that word reverent, I don't, I'll, whenever I see the word reverent, I think of candles. I don't know why. It's because of the way I grew up, right? There's somehow there has to be candles involved when there's reverence. And so, and so I don't know what that means, and that's my own problem. But this idea of submission, submission is like a dirty word in our, in our culture. I mean, we're not supposed to be submit. We're free individuals. We're Americans, right? But it's this idea where we bow our heads and our hearts, and we say, Lord, not my will, but yours. And my language for saying that, when I talk to God, is I'm saying, help me want to want what you want. You guys catch that? Help me want to want what you want. Now, I don't know if that's reverent, but that is certainly submission. It's saying to him, I can't do this on my own. I don't even know what to pray for, which is interesting because that's all over the Bible too. It's this idea that we just give him our guts. I mean, how often do we give him our guts? This is not lazy. This is called faith. This is called the real stuff that is not churchianity. That's what we do. We put on a mask. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Everybody's fine, right? None of us are fine. I'm here because I am one messed up dude, right? And this is why it took me so long to become a pastor because I thought messed up dudes couldn't be pastors, right? But it turns out every human, Romans chapter 3, is a messed up dude one way or the other, right? And yet we are set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are made righteous and he changes our identity from messed up dude to righteous holy one of God. That's who you are because of Jesus. And that's why we then, because we are made righteous, we imitate him. We've been set free. Now what? Go with Jesus. Which takes us to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. Now you knew that this was coming, I told you. Melchizedek is back. Mark, can't we just call him Mel? Not yet. Not right now. So it says Jesus was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now I've got two words up there, and those are the, those are the Hebrew words in English letters, so it gets a little scary. But the first half of his name is Melech, and the second half of his name is Zedekah, right? And everybody's like, Gesundheit, right? I get that. But, but here's the thing. Melech is the Hebrew word for king, and Zedekah is the Hebrew word for righteousness. Why do we need to know his name? Because what the writer of the Hebrew is trying to do in this book, and I say he's trying, we're the ones who are trying. He's doing it just fine because he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. But what we're asking for the Holy Spirit to do for us is to unlock this for us because what the goal is is that we would understand that God wasn't different in the Old Testament and then somehow different in the New Testament. He wasn't an old grouchy guy in the Old Testament. Now he's a cute, cuddly teddy bear in the New Testament. That isn't what's, that's not what the Bible says. 
But a lot of times we grow up thinking that, right? Because we don't read it. Because <laughs> here's what happens. We sit down, we read Genesis, and we're like, that's pretty cool. And then we get to Exodus, and they're like, the first uh, 20 chapters or so, pretty interesting. And then we get to chapter like 23, 24, 25 Exodus. And literally someone said to me, not too long ago, we were doing our Read Scripture series, Pastor, <laughs> I ain't reading Exodus. You know, it's like, okay, at least we're honest. We'll work with that, right? But this is what we get into is we, we, we don't read it because it's hard. And we get, uh-oh, there's that word, lazy. And I know we don't get lazy like, I don't want to work, but it's like, I don't even understand this. I don't know where to start. We're going to start here. That's where we start. Why is it so important that old Mel was named the king of righteousness? Why is it so important that that is the case? And, and the book of Hebrews is going to explain that in great detail in the next few weeks, so I don't want to steal all of the thunder. But let me just leave you with this nugget for today, and that is because Jesus is the king of righteousness, and Jesus is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And in the grand scheme of the story of the Old Testament and the New, which is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which we're going to partake of here in just a couple of minutes, is this idea that His righteousness, the righteousness of the King, becomes your righteousness. Not of, not of just a king, but the king, the king of kings, the prince of peace, the Holy One of God becomes your righteousness, right? And this is why it's so important that he was designated to be a high priest in that order. Not in the order of Aaron, right? The, the Levitical order, which is where you got to do more, try harder, and get better. That isn't what he was made a priest of. That's a whole different priesthood which ended the day that Jesus died on the cross and the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, which that curtain was there to separate you and I from God because we couldn't go into his presence. Oh, wait, that's coming up. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. And just so we're all clear to there, this is not like the Bible slapping us in the face or whatever. Um, but this is where, this is where, this starts with me and it's each one of us. Okay, <laughs> I am slow to learn. And when I look back at my life, that is very clearly truth, Right? I am very slow learner. In fact, if we were to find the slow learners in the room, I am the slowest. I can promise you that. I always say this book will take you like 20 minutes to read. For me, it's like two hours. That's just how it works. But it's hard to explain because we need to learn the story. This is one of the things that happens when we do churchianity instead of Christianity is we don't discover the story. We need to discover the story because when we learn the story, who is Melchizedek and why do we care? It's in Genesis 14, by the way. And it's just like one sentence. They're like, the whole New Testament is banked on this new one sentence in Genesis. Yep. And when we read the story, we see there's all kinds of little, little, little threads that run through the whole story that tie it all together and center us on Jesus, on the cross, where he went to that cross for you and for me. Take a look at Hebrews 4.16. This is our... This is where we conclude for the day because this is the power of God. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. See, because see, here's what I did. I just did a little menu. Like I just did a little list. Okay, I'm slow to learn. It's hard to explain. I don't understand. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I am lazy, and I grew up in churchianity, so I know what that's all about, and I know how to do that, get my ticket punch and call it good. Let's go watch some football. Right? That was kind of how I grew up. Right? That was where I was at. And so all of that is the feeling that you have. And then that's when this scripture comes and hits us with the grace of God, which is a waterfall that splashes all over us. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
You don't have to fear God, not in this sense. Not a fear of punishment, John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. We don't have to fear punishment because he took that punishment. That's why we keep talking about the cross. You don't need to fear God in the sense of punishment. We fear him in the sense of awe. We fear him in like, he's God and I'm not. That's a different kind of fear. But we don't have to go in there like when, when there is a, an abusive father, which is sometimes what we feel like when we read the Old Testament. That's, I know that's in some of our hearts. And some of us grew up in that very reality. And, and, and we get this, like, I don't know if I can approach God with confidence. Because if he put me in that situation, then why do we approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy? Now, we said grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Mercy is, receiving, is not receiving what we do deserve. You ever, can, you ever think about it? Well, like when, I think, when Mark thinks about what does Mark actually deserve? Yeah, you don't want to know because it's bad. And that's where mercy comes in. I don't receive what I do deserve. And I do receive what I don't deserve through grace. And then this last line where there's this this little two-letter word that's so important. He doesn't help us from our time of need. God's not a genie. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't come in and say, Shazam, it's all good and golden. Happy days. Let's go eat some pepperoni pizza and call it a day. It doesn't work that way. I mean, we can still go eat pizza if you want. But that doesn't work that way. What he does is he comes alongside of us and he helps us in our time of need. One of the reasons that person said, hey, I don't, I don't believe in God because what would God say to that person that is sick and dying or that person that is suffering or that person that is going through all these things? And, and my response to that person was, I know what he would say. I love you. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, for you are my child. That's what he'll say. And you, but you're like, but I want all this stuff to go away. So does he. That's why he sent his son to suffer on your behalf and on my behalf. That's why he sent his son to do what you and I could not do. He sent his son to give us new life so that we are free to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And if we've been a little lazy with our faith, praise be to God, Jesus saved us. And if we don't, if we're slow to learn and we can't, we're like, I don't understand all this Melchizedek stuff. Okay. Just keep coming, man. Keep coming. So we, we talked about this idea of churchianity. What does Christianity look like? Well, it's, it's really interesting because it's this idea of we, instead of saying, I don't need to know that. I don't need to read the Old Testament. I don't need to do all those things. Let's discover a story, right? And then the second thing we do is let's set aside time for God. Now, don't misunderstand me. All time is God's time. We don't need to like say, okay, I'm going to have God time, put on my God hat, and then take that off, then put on my work hat, then take that off, then put on my, let's go drink beer hat, whatever. Okay. You can drink a beer. You can do that. God says, have a little wine, Paul says to Timothy. Win a winery, it's a good plan. So, so we should, we should. But the idea, is, the idea is this. It's not to encourage drinking or drunkenness. The idea is this, we live our lives free with confidence and love. And the thing is, we, we set aside time to say, okay, God, this is your time in particular. I need to spend time with you so that I cannot be lazy in my faith and I can go with you. Teach me. Help me to want to want what you want. And then the third thing is that it's this idea we don't expect others to believe the way we do or to have the behavior that we do. We ask for him to conform our hearts to that of the heart of Jesus the heart that said to you and to me, I love you. Can we pray about that? Please pray with me. Father, we love you so much 
We thank you so much for all that you give us. And right now we need your help because we are all lazy. At, at the end of the day, if we're left to our, our, our druthers, we're just going to just take it easy. That's what we're going to do. But yet we have an opportunity to participate with you and to go with you and to follow you and to learn from you and to grow from you. Protect us from the evil one. Set us free from his desires to destroy us. He works his enemies all around us. Our enemies, I should say. He puts them all around us so that he would take us out. You've called us to be free of that, to set us free. So we don't believe their lies. We don't believe their accusations. We don't believe the word Satan, which is the Hebrew word for the accuser. We don't listen to any of that. We listen to your word where you said to us, you love us. We listen to the story where you said, I will give everything for you, my prized possession. We spend time with you so that we could go with you. And we learn all of this as we seek that you would make our will into your will. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.